um, some, sometime last year, we began a, a series uh, going through First Peter, um, a Christian's guide to the galaxy as aliens and, and strangers. And we took a break and then we started picking it back up about three months ago. And um, I, I'm kind of heavy hearted as uh, we get to the end of this because I feel like it's been such a uh, rich journey as we've heard from um, Peter We've heard from his letters. He's written to people in, in situations just like us. Um, we have about four, uh, three, four weeks left, and we're nearing the beginning of the end as we hit the last chapter. And as, we get, as we've read through this letter, I feel like a lot of the themes that Peter has been talking about have come to realization in our lives, have come to fruition, have come to fulfillment. A lot of things that, um, may, you know, he talks a lot about suffering, he talks a lot about persecution, and Maybe when we started reading this in, in 2012, we started studying this uh, last year, a lot of the things that Peter was talking about seemed like it was for another culture or for another time period or for another group of people, but not really for us. But as we've increasingly gone through it, I, I think that uh, cultural shifts and things that have happened within our country, within our world, have brought this to the forefront where we realize that the day is coming quicker than we thought, quicker than we anticipated, maybe quicker than we uh, wanted, for the things that Peter's talking about to have relevance to our lives in a very direct way. He talks about the fact that we're aliens and strangers, that this world is not our home, and at the mentality of our hearts, if, if this world is a playground, if we're just enjoying and living it up, no child wants to go home from a playground. And maybe that's why the longing for heaven in American or Western Christians is, is lacking a lot of times because we see this world as a playground to store up all the fun things that we can do. And then when it's time to go home, we're like, wait, I, I haven't gotten married yet. I haven't, I haven't done this yet. I haven't done that yet. We don't have a longing for home because maybe we see life as a playground. But Peter's saying as aliens and strangers, we're not to see life as a, as a playground, but we need to see it as a battleground because that's what it is. We're living in enemy territory and we're trying to take ground for the kingdom of God. And one day we'll be brought home to our home far away where his glory forever I'll share. But for now, in this time and place, we're living in a battleground. And any soldier in war knows that at the first opportunity that he has to go home to his family, to be reunited with his, with his father, with his brothers, with his siblings, he would jump at that opportunity. But if it's better for him to stay here in war, then he will do that. She will do that. That's the attitude of the Apostle Paul in Philippians. That's what Peter's saying. That if life is a playground, we'll not want to go home. But if life is a battleground, then we'll be longing for home. And that's what Peter's saying is, well, let's, let's have a longing for home because we understand life the way that it is. We understand that we're aliens and strangers, that we are Christians in a foreign galaxy. And his letter was written to talk about how can we live as Christians and what is this letter telling us about his guide to the galaxy? And as we saw last week, uh, last week as the Supreme Court passed, and I, my, my letter in your bulletin is about this, the Supreme Court overturned the Defense of Marriage Act, which is uh, something that we probably saw the handwriting on the wall this time has been coming. But um, as, as it's written, to, to redefine marriage, something that God has ordained, not culture, not government, has not ordained this thing, to overturn that thing, and we quickly realize that Hey, we used to be at one point in time, they used to call Christians, conservative Christians, the moral majority. That the morality that we stood for and the things that we stood for based on the teachings of Scripture put us in the majority. Where we were part of a Christian, what we called, thought was a Christian nation. But in time, it's surprising how quickly we have become the minority. 
at Justice uh, Anthony Kennedy says, if you don't agree with this, if you don't agree with allowing homosexuals to be married, men and men married together, woman, woman married together, then you are, he, quote, he said, you're an enemy of the human race. And that's the world that we're living in. And so on Thursday or the day after this, uh, th- this was overturned, I was eating breakfast with Manny. I said, hey, uh, you have a mom and dad. But there will be people in this world who believe that it's okay to have a mom and a mom and a dad and a dad. He said, no. <laughs> but maybe not for her, but for our son, Elijah, his people that he's growing up with, this is going to be completely normal and acceptable. And for us to stand up for what we believe in, we re- we're not the moral majority, but as someone said, we are the missional minority as well. That's how we're supposed to live. We have to understand that we are the minority now. We're living in enemy territory. But instead of saying, oh my gosh, woe is me. We're not going to make it. We're dead. We're doomed. It's over. We have to understand that there's a missional purpose for us and that a- throughout history, God has always worked with a minority. God has always worked with a minority people and God plus a minority always becomes the majority. And so that's the stance that we have to take as we move into this world that is quickly changing to oppose the life of Jesus Christ within us. So in the midst of this kind of a world that is opposed to everything that the Bible teaches us, how are we supposed to live? One of the things as we begin chapter 5 that that Peter's saying is, look, if you're going to make it in this kind of a world that is opposed to you, that will persecute you, then you need to have leaders in times of transition, in times of hardship that are going to lead you well, then great leaders are important in times of peace, but in a wartime mentality, that's when you need leaders like never before. So in times of turmoil, 9-11, everybody's looking to where? They're looking to the president who told them, go shop more, stimulate the economy. That's how you fix this issue. And others ran and swarmed into the churches because I think the church has a prophetic voice and needs to have a prophetic voice in times like this. So what kind of leaders do we need to have? This is it. First uh, Peter chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. I'm going to just bust it open to talk about why this is relevant to all of us. This is God's word. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away this is god's word so he's saying to the elders among you i appeal as a fellow elder an overseer be shepherds of the flock in its original context peter is writing to what most would consider the elders the teachers the pastors the bishops of the church in asia minor And that's true. And so to to anyone who wants to be a pastor, who wants to be an elder in the church, for people like me, this is extremely relevant. And so we need to hear this. I need to hear this. And throughout this week, I was wrestling and fighting with this because this is convicting to me about the kind of person that God is calling me to be. 
But this also has application by principle. It has application for all who serve the people of God in the role of shepherds. And we have house church shepherds here, people who are uh, entrusted. The flock of God has been entrusted to such people. Seven house churches here that we have. And so this is extremely relevant to people who are shepherds of house churches. This is extremely relevant to people uh, who are teachers of our young people, right, who teach our youth because the principles of leadership apply to all of us, to the flock that has been entrusted to your care, to anyone who feels like this is God's call for my life now or in the future. These are the kinds of things that God is trying to build within our hearts. And for those who feel like, you know what, I'm not a leader, I'm following leaders then this will help you to keep accountable those who are leaders for you, for you to pray for and to encourage and to help us to become everything that God has called us to be according to this teaching. This is highly relevant because in this increasingly secular world, in this world that is continually pressing up against and fighting against the life of Jesus Christ within us, we need people like this to rise up because the leader of the next generation, the leader of the future in times of chaos and confusion, it's in times like this where leadership is highly, desperately, deeply needed to rise to the challenge. So let this be a challenge and a call to all of us who aspire to be the people that God's called us to be as we lead the flock of God into the future. What kind of people do we need? Uh, if you're taking notes, I'm just going to pop out these answers real quick so that you could write it down if you want to. Um, the first thing is um, we need witnesses. Second thing, we need shepherds. Third thing, we need examples. Okay, that's it. Witness, shepherd, example. So here's Peter, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock. So Peter's writing to these elders, these leaders in the church of Asia Minor, and he's appealing to them, saying, Hey, I'm no different than you. I'm an elder just like you. No better, no worse. That's all. That's all I am. But on what basis does he have to tell them, hey, shepherd the flock of God that's under your care? On what basis does he have to say anything to these people? He's just like them. This is what he says. He says, I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. He says, there's, all, there's nothing that sets me apart. In fact, if this was younger Peter, yeah, Peter who was living during the days of Jesus when Jesus was still alive, he would say, look, I'm a fellow elder, but let me tell you why you need to listen to me. Let me tell you why I'm going to appeal to you. Because Jesus said, I'm the rock. Don't you remember? Jabronis, don't you remember? You got to listen to what I'm saying because I'm the rock. Can you smell what I'm cooking? This is, let me tell you. I walked on water. That's why you need to listen to me. Right? Man, you ain't walk on water. You ever walk on water? You bathe, you swim, but you ain't walk on water. Listen to what I got to say. Younger Peter would have said that. But this Peter jacked up, messed up, got restored, and he's humbled by grace. Because there's nothing different about me. The only reason why I can say anything to you is because I've witnessed the glory of God and I've seen the fullness of Jesus Christ. I've seen him. And because of that, let me share, let me just simply share the things that I've seen and the things that he's told me. There's a, a lot of times in which leaders of today um, are so gifted 
and so talented and can win crowds over. And yet the sad reality for many is that the spirituality of many people is so paper thin. And when you peel back the layers, just a, a, an infestation of, of sin that's just blowing up within these people because we haven't witnessed to the power of God in our lives. Because we know a lot about Jesus, because we studied the books, we know how to solve problems, we know how to teach classes, we need know how to give lectures, now do all of these things. But we haven't really witnessed to the power, of, the transforming power of God in our lives. And I talk to pastors, and, and more and more I realize, I, I always felt like, you know, I'm a, I'm a young guy. But in, in our Asian American uh, pastoral circles, I realize that I'm not so young anymore compared to a lot of these guys who are coming behind me. And so more and more, either over text or email or, or whatever it might be, I talk to these pastors who have struggled and have fallen into sin. And as we try and unpack what's going on, you know, their thing is always, let me help me. How can I fix my, rep, my reputation so I can get back to doing these things? And my thing is always, we don't need to go to that place. We need to get at the heart of what's going on here. So what is going on? And we just peel back the layers like Shrek said, I'm like an onion. I've got all these layers. And is it Shrek or donkey? I forget who. But peel back all these layers. And what's going on underneath? It's this razor-thin spirituality of people who have learned to, to, to know about Jesus but don't really have a personal experience with him. So what does your relationship with Jesus look like? What does your devotional life look like? You see, there's no devotional life. There's no time with Jesus. No reading the word of God. No praying. So wonder we just set ourselves up for a fall if that's what that that's we we talk about Jesus, we sing about Jesus. I remember one time I was I was at a retreat and there was a, a, a bunch of counselors there, and there's one counselor, a female counselor in the front, just jumping up and down, singing these songs, I will live for you, I'll die for you, all these things. And I, I didn't know this person very well, but I thought, wow, they're they're super spirit, they love Jesus. Afterwards, uh, worship is over, counselor's meeting, after counselor's meeting, she says, hey, pastor, can I talk to you? I thought, all right. She says, you know, I, I don't believe any of these things that I'm, I, I want to lead people, but I, I haven't experienced Jesus. I don't, I don't know him. Like, I, don't, I don't feel these things that we're singing. And, and I think about that, how many times we aspire to leadership without witnessing the power of God at work in our lives. Right, we sing the songs, but you can't sing of things you haven't seen. Hey, we're singing somebody else's song. I say this all the time, right? My God is mighty to save. We sing this song, but do we believe it in our hearts? Have we seen people? Have we seen the power of God mighty to save the lives of people? Have we seen that? Are we witnesses to these things? This is the kind of leader that the church needs in times of persecution. If we don't have an experience, an encounter, if we don't witness the power of God, then we're going to flake just like Jesus says it's these kinds of soil. When persecution rises up, it chokes out the root. And they wither away and they die. And we need to experience Jesus. This is Peter. He said, you know what? I didn't experience Jesus. Jesus said, I need to pray. And he didn't pray. And so he fell. He denied Jesus. He was the one who said, you know what? I'm a leader. Jesus is going to build this church upon me and upon my confession. I'm a leader here. That's what he said. And Jesus, if everyone else falls away, I'll never fall away. But he fell away. Why? Because he didn't have an experience. Jesus said, pray. That's it. But he gave into his flesh. And so every time the rooster crowed, he's like, I messed up. 
But John 21, one of the most powerful and poignant passages in all the scripture is this failure of a man, Peter. He can't even, he can't even bear to look Jesus in his eye, the resurrected Jesus, because he's so filled with guilt. And Jesus just so lovingly speaks into his life to restore him, to renew him, to say, I know you've messed up, but that's not going to disqualify you from the prize. It's not going to disqualify you from what I've got for you. And as he restores, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times he says, do you love me? He says, you know, I love you. And he says, if you love me, then go and feed my sheep. You want to... You want to feed the sheep of God. You want to lead the people of God. You've got to love Jesus. You've got to love him. The heartbeat of every leader of the next generation has to be the psalmist in Psalm 27. For one thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may gaze upon your beauty, that I may dwell in your temple. This is the one thing I long for in my life. So many times we're so distracted, like Martha. Martha was so distracted by, I need to do this for Jesus. I need to do that for Jesus. I need to get this in order to serve the people of God. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you forgot the one thing. The one thing is needed. Just sit at my feet. Because Jesus knew that little with God means little for God. Sit at my feet. Knowing you, all I once held dear, built my life upon. All that this world reveres, even in the Christian world circles, they revere these things to be able to to, to be a wonderful worship leader, to have a a, a huge crowd that that follows you, that knows who you are. All I once held dear, built my life, but these are nothing compared to this one thing that has conquered my life. To know you, Jesus. To be witnesses to the power of God in our lives. This is what we need. And Peter says, I'm a witness of the power of God at work in my life. I was listening to this sermon, a guy named Jason Ma, and he was talking, a pastor, one of the, the most influential churches in Korea was talking to him. And he said, how, how, how did you become so influential? And he said, Jason, you need to pray. He's like, well, I pray an hour, two hours a day. This guy said, look, that if you pray one hour a day, then you will be able to survive <laughs> this life. You pray two hours a day, then you might begin to make an influence in people's lives. You pray four hours a day, you might be able to have a church or a ministry. You pray six hours a day, you could change your nation. And if you pray eight hours a day, then you'll set the world on fire. All I know is that we can't pray that much and not see the power of God at work in our lives. And we can't not be witnesses. On the flip side, if we're not spending that kind of time with God, then we're not going to witness the life transforming, the world-changing power of God at work in and through us. That's what we need. These are the kind of leaders that you and I need going into the future. That's the first thing. Second thing, starting in verse 2, we need shepherds, right? Shepherds who love the sheep more than they love themselves. So be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy 
for money, but eager to serve. I know this language of, of shepherding, you ever wonder why our house church leaders are called shepherds? Like this is, I don't know any shepherds personally. I don't know any shepherds in Orlando. I don't know any shepherds in Florida. So why, why this outdated term? Because throughout the Bible, it talks about shepherds. So because we're not there in that agrarian society that Israel lived in, I'm going to take you back into that time. And I'm going to bring out a sheep. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I was reading this, uh, this, this uh, commentary. Um, a guy named MacArthur talks about um, a book that was written by a shepherd who lived in New Zealand, a real live shepherd. And he wrote this book about what shepherding is like. It, it's just it's amazing when you begin to think about it. He says sheep are, we all know sheep are stupid, right? Sheep are different from lamb. Lamb, uh, lamb is a baby sheep. Right? Lambs are cute and cuddly. They're white and beautiful and you kiss them and stuff. Sheep are big and, and uh, kind of dumb and ugly and nasty. So tell him about sheep. And this is what he says. Sheep are the only animal that can get lost within a few miles of home. The other animals have this homing device, have this sense of home where they get lost, they wander around. Eventually, they'll find their way back. But sheep don't do that. They get lost, and then they're lost. That's why they need a shepherd, because they're dumb. They get lost so easily. Oh, my gosh. That's why Mary had a little lamb, had this, because it followed her wherever she went, even to school, because she, that, that lamb, that sheep needed to follow Mary. Because they get lost all the time. Here's, here's a problem. When they get far away from home, away from their pasture, if a shepherd's not there, they have no idea how to eat. And they'll literally uh, starve to death. They're stupid. They don't know. Just put your head down and start eating. So here's another thing. When they eat, they're always hungry and they're always thirsty. Constant appetite. Always eating like, some, like, like Bill. Always eating. Right, that's what sheep are. Just kidding. Is that okay? <sighs> always eating. And like some people, indiscriminate in what they eat. Like they're just always eating. Like our son Elijah is like, whatever he picks up, he'll put it in his mouth. Somebody said that it's because babies, outside of their hands, their primary nerve endings are in their mouth. And so to feel something, put it in their mouth. Don't quote me on that. If I'm, if I'm wrong, Joshua Chang, am I wrong? <laughs> if I'm wrong, then correct me later. But that's what, uh, that's what somebody told me. They said their nerve endings, so they want to touch. Touch everything, they put it in their mouth. I think it's because he wanted to eat everything. Because he'll bite on it. And This is sheep. Whatever they see, they start eating. So you give them a, a you know, bunch of grass, they'll start eating it, they'll look around, they'll wander, and then they don't know the difference between a poisonous weed that could kill them and a good weed that they could eat for food. And so if the shepherd is not there, then they could poison themselves to death. Not only that, Psalm 23, he leads me beside still waters. Now, sheep are kind of like divas. They need the perfect water in order to drink it. It can't be going too fast. It can't be stagnant because bacteria can grow. It has to just kind of be gently moving. can't be too cold or they'll shiver to death. can't be too hot or they won't like it. They're divas. They have to ask for, yeah, just take out the yellow and red Skittles and give them to me in my dressing room. So this is sheep. They come to the thing, and it has to be perfect in order for them to drink it. And so there they drink it. The problem, though, is if in their desire to eat food and they need to drink water, if their food is wet, then something happens. They get diarrhea. And when they get diarrhea, I don't know if you know about, if you know this, 
lamb, when they're little, don't have that much hair. But when they get bigger and they become sheep, they get a lot of wool. So one of our gals, Sarah, was in Jordan, and she spent a year in Jordan. I said, did you see a lot of sheep? She said, oh, yeah. I said, did you play with any? Did you touch them? She said, no, they're so dirty. I said, do you know why they're so dirty? Here's why they're dirty, because they secrete an oil called lanolin. Secrete oil. They're so greasy. Right? It's like you take a, a, a bunch of butter and you rub it all over your body. Right? These, are, these, are, these are what sheep are like. They're so nasty that when they walk around, they get grass, they get flowers, they get stuffed butterflies all over them, and they can't take them off. They don't have hands, right? They're just like walking around on all fours. They're stupid animals, and they get all this stuff stuck on them. So when they have diarrhea, this is probably too much for you to know, but I'll tell you anyways, this is how dumb they are. They have diarrhea, and it sticks all over their lanolin-laced bodies that the diarrhea doesn't clear out of their system. That it blocks them up and they die because they cannot digest their food properly. That's nasty. That's sheep. Here's another thing. They don't, they can't fight for themselves. So if they get attacked, basically they die unless there's a shepherd. So here's something else. Did you know that when sheep fall over, Right, they roll over. So some, like when we have to change Elijah's diaper, we roll, put him on, his gra- on the ground. If he doesn't like it, if he doesn't like being on his back, he'll roll over and he'll, he'll walk out. Sheep can't do that. Right, they just lie down. If they fall over, somehow they fall on their back. I don't know how they would do that. They, maybe they trip or I don't know. They, they fall on their back. They can't get up. <laughs> they need life alert. I've fallen. <laughs> and I, but they can't talk. So they've got major, major, major issues. So they bat, bat, until someone comes and rescue them, the shepherd will do it. But he can't flip them back over and walk because by that time they lose circulation. They can't walk. The shepherd has to carry this stupid animal to wherever he needs to go. And because they're always dependent on the shepherd, they have no fight, no fight defense mechanism in them. When they get attacked or when the reason they, they can't get up when they roll over is because when something happens to them, There's no fight or flight in them. The only thing they know how to do is flight. But if they can't run because they're on their backs, there's no sense in which, hmm, maybe I should get up. They just lay there until they die. And Peter's saying this is how dependent sheep are on their shepherd. Sometimes you think maybe the only reason God made sheep was to teach us about the human condition. That we are so desperately in need of a shepherd to lead, to feed, to guide, to protect, to carry, to care for us because we could not do it ourselves. Because they get so dirty, that's why the shepherd has to hold it and he's constantly shearing the wool off of the sheep because otherwise they would die of dirt, of fleas would lay eggs in there, in there, and they would itch themselves to death, but they can't do anything about it. Completely helpless animals. The Bible says that's who we are. When you think of your people like that, think of the people in your Bible study class, in your house church, Think of people in our world. 
harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The greatest need in a time like that is not for education, it's for a shepherd who's going to rise up and care for the sheep. So if we're doing that, what's our motivation? Not because you must, but because you're willing. And you do it because you have to do it, or do you do it because you get to do it? You do it because I have to do it. Do it because I want to do it. Is it a job? Or is it a joy? Is this something that we have to do because if I don't do it, then no one's going to do it? Is it grudgingly doing it? I hate doing this. I hate going to meeting everywhere. I hate preparing for this. Just don't do it like that. If you do it like that, then don't do it. You need to go and experience Jesus first then. Go be a witness to Christ and then be a shepherd. If you love me, then feed my sheep. But don't do it the other way around. See, to, to, to shepherd the flock of God in the times of Asia Minor meant, look, persecution is coming. You host people in your home for house church, persecution comes, you're front and center. And so there are a lot of people who say, you know what, I don't, want, I don't want my home to be in danger. I don't want it to be my home. So they said, if I, if I do it, then I don't, I'm doing it grudgingly. I don't really want to do it. And Peter said, don't do it like that. But then there are people who, even though they didn't want to do it, they did it. Why? And this is what he says. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Maybe there was some kind of financial compensation that they got out of it. He said, if I have to do it, then at least I'll do it for the money. And do we do our service? Maybe not for the money. I don't think we get paid to do this. But do we do it because of some selfish recognition that we could get for it? For something that we can get out of it? Maybe a sense of validation that I can do something, that I'm able to do something, that my life makes a difference, that I count for something? Or do we do it out of a love for the sheep? Who do we love? Who do we do this for? I tell uh, younger pastors and leaders this all the time. I say, look, if you're not witnessing the power of God, right? Love Jesus, feed my sheep. If we're not feeding his sheep out of love for Jesus, then we're going to feed off of his sheep. We're going to use them instead of serve them. We're going to use them instead of love them. We're going to use them for what we can get out of it instead of loving them and giving ourselves to them. We're going to use them for some sense of, Hey, you know what? They said they said they love me. They said thank you. They said I'm the best. They said I did a great job. And we do it for ourselves instead of for them. That the leaders of the next generation that we need who are not going to abandon the flock in times of persecution, when trouble comes, we're going to stay there and be willing to lay down our lives for the sake of our people. Our shepherds who love the sheep more than we love ourselves. The last thing, examples. The end of verse 3, being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but examples to those entrusted to you. The last 
thing that characterizes the leaders of the next generation as we move forward is that we are examples who focus on the end and not on the present. When he says not lording it over those entrusted to you, the, the word is the same word that we use for Jesus, the Lord. But lording it over means that we're seeing ourselves as higher as over our Lord God. That's how, that's how silly it is. When we lord it over other people and say, because I'm the shepherd, you need to treat me with this. You need to do this for me. You need to serve me. You need to do all these things. Just don't serve that way. Don't lord it over people looking down on them, but be an example to the flock. Uh, we were talking about this last night with our shepherds, Mark ten forty five. for the son of man, even the son of man, the son of man did not come to be served, uh, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Does your life then, Jesus, as he gave his life as a ransom, the paradigm of leadership, he went to his disciples. He said, now that I, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, setting you an example, now you also go and do the same for other people. Jesus says this is the example of leadership. That's why when we commission leaders to our house church ministry, we call them shepherds and we do it through a washing of their feet by the shepherd who was serving them before as a way of saying, as I have served you, as your shepherd and your leader, so also you ought to do this for those who come behind you, knowing that they are dirty, knowing that they can't feed themselves, knowing that these are the things about them, and it's true about all of us. Go and serve them and be an example to the flock. Because our world needs examples of people right, who are living it, who are walking it, who are seeing it. And we always recognize that we're examples because what we, as what a leader accepts, finds acceptable, followers will embrace. What we do for a minute, people who follow do for an hour. And we stay up until 1 o'clock in the morning playing around with these things with other people, then they're going to stay up until 3 or 4 o'clock. Because we need examples. People need examples. We need to see how it's lived out. At the end of the day, you know, you, everybody, everyone who's ever been a student knows this, that we don't remember everything that we were taught in second grade. We don't remember the things that our teacher uh, did or, or taught us about mathematics, or, but we remember the way that they lived. We remember the example far more than we remember the teaching. He's saying, live a life that is an example to the flock. And then he goes on and he says in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. He says, we need not only as examples. He says, let's pick our gaze up away from the here and now and push it into the future for that day of appearing when the chief shepherd comes. Why? Because Peter knew that ministering to sheep would be difficult. He knew that we would want to run away from the flock at times. He knew that there would be people that make fun of us, that talk, call us names, that treat us badly, that don't appreciate the things that you do. He knew that it would be difficult to do it. And so he's saying, don't look to the here and now. One day vindication is going to come. One day the chief shepherd is going to come. 
and he's going to reward you for everything that you did. Don't be focused on the here and now. Because if we are, then so many times we'll be tempted to quit and to throw in the towel. I was thinking about, as I'm, as I'm thinking what Peter's trying to get into, I think about people in, in my ministry life who have made me want to quit. People that have uh, said bad things to me. Even recently, uh, somebody on the phone telling me that they hated me. Hate mail, emails, whatever it might be. Criticisms. And I think about that, and and I think these are the people that I've spent hours praying for. Stayed up late at night, having conversations, texting, talking on the phone, giving my life to. And then they come back in this way. Anytime we're called to shepherd the sheep of God, this is our destiny. That's what we get ourselves into. People that you invest into and pour your spirit into are going to walk away from you, are going to walk away from the faith, are going to take everything that you downloaded into them and then put that in their recycle bin and say, you know, I don't believe any of that stuff to be true. People that you prayed for and that you wept over, that you hugged and held are going to speak ill of you. What is it that keeps us going in times like that? Because we don't focus on the here and now. We lift our gaze up and says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Even though our lives be destroyed, our reputations be destroyed, we be destroyed. There is something awaiting that will never be destroyed. There is a chief shepherd who's coming. You know, uh, Olivia has this book and ever before Manny was born, she would write in this book. She would say things and dreams that she had for Manny. And, and even as Manny turns four years old, since so she writes in this book, says, these are the funny things that you did. These are the things that you said. These are the things that I noticed about you because she, our child will never remember these things, never remember half of these things, but her mother does. And one day she's going to open up this book and she's going to read it and she's going to be rewarded and realize, wow, you never forgot. And the Bible tells us that there's a book in heaven that Jesus is writing for every single person who gives their lives to him, for every single person who's who's done anything to shepherd the flock of God. He remembers every prayer. He remembers every counseling session. He remembers every tear that's shed. He remembers a cup of cold water that you gave to a person in the name of Jesus. All of these things he remembers, even though we forget, even though other people might might walk on and trample all over these things. And he says he's writing these things down. And when he appears, he will give you a crown of glory that will never fade away. In those days, in the Olympic Games and the athletic games, you would win a prize. You would win the race. You would win the event. You would get a crown on you made of leaves or figs or flowers. And within a few days, that symbol of human recognition would fade away and would be thrown into the garbage can. He's saying, you don't live for the applause of people. You don't serve in order to get recognition by the people that we're serving. We don't serve for that reason. We serve for the applause of one and one alone. We serve for the applause of Jesus Christ. And one day when he appears, he will give us the reward for all of our labors. And he will say, God willing, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with the little things. Now be entrusted with many. Says the chief shepherd. Because 
Really, it's, they're not our people. You are not my people. God loves you a whole lot more than I do. He wants you to be fed and to grow and be cared for so much more than I do. And he just called me to shepherd the flock in the time that I'm alive. And, and ultimately, he's going he's gonna to say either well done or, hey, you know, that's not what I meant when I said shepherd this flock. But he's the chief shepherd of your flock, of my flock, of our flock. He's the chief shepherd. And if they're his, don't you want to do everything that you can to present them back to him and say, I did my best. If we love, if we sacrifice that much and we're not even the real shepherd, how much more so him, the chief shepherd? This is how much. He said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. The reason why wayward, sinful uh, sheep like you and I will one day wear a crown that will last, a crown of glory, is because he took that crown of thorns upon himself for the sake of the sheep protecting us so that we might have that which will never fade away, that which we never deserve. That he's coming and he will appear. And when he does, you'll receive the reward for what you've done. What else is there in this life worth giving ourselves to? What better use of our time, our money, our tears, our labor than to give it for the people of God? Let's pray together. But he's putting it in your heart to say, you know what? I want to shepherd the flock of God to the best of my ability. God help me. Maybe some of us need to make a commitment here. Say, Lord, I see sheep without a shepherd right now. Maybe they be in your midst in church. Maybe they be at work. Maybe they be in your school, in your house church, in your neighborhood. The Lord God will be saying, hey, be a witness. You're a witness. Testify. Shepherd the flock of God. Rise up for such a time as this. The people of God need leaders. The sheep without a shepherd need leaders. Rise up, church, for such a time as this. Let's pray and ask the Lord. God, make me a shepherd, a good shepherd, an under-shepherd who would love and love and love a people undeserving. Brothers, you don't feel that you're called, and hey, pray for your shepherds. Pray for your teachers. Pray for your house church shepherds. Pray for your pastors. We need your prayers desperately. Daily need your prayers. Let's pray. Let's respond to the word of God. A minute, two minutes. Just pray. Let's respond to the word of the Lord together.
Father in heaven, the times that we're living in are scary in some sense because it's such a departure from the teachings of Scripture. And yet we take comfort in the sovereignty of God because, Jesus, you said all of these things were going to happen. Peter said all of these things were going to happen. This is not a surprise to us. It shouldn't be. It's definitely not a surprise to you. But you're saying, in light of this, for such a time as this, your world is desperate for leaders. Father, the great call and the dying need of our generation is not for more money. It's not for more methods. It's not for more machines. It's not for more technology. It's for people who would rise up to embrace the call of God and not sit back and say, I'm okay just being fat and lazy if God is calling me to go. We recognize that there are many that you are calling us to just receive in this season of life. But for those who have felt and heard the voice of God, the call of God, thank you, Lord, that you disturb the comfortable in order that you might comfort the disturbed. Would you do that in us? Would you raise up within our congregation a vast army, a mighty army, of the kind of leaders that you wrote about in Scripture, the kind of leaders that we heard about today, who are witnesses to your glory, not just hearers of what you've done, who are shepherds who love you and love your people more than anything else, even our own lives, and examples to the flock who would not run in times of hardship, who would not focus on the here and now, but are focused on the appearing of the chief shepherd. Lord Almighty, Raise up people who will lead by serving. We need you, Lord God. So help us. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.